YouTube. Some of you, great. That is awesome. Most of the churches I go and ask that question, I have one or two hands come up. So y'all have really been exposed to the chosen. And the chosen, as those of you know that have seen it, is an excellent dramatic series on the life and ministry of Jesus. It's based on and is true to the gospel accounts of Jesus, but it adds some character development to the lives of people around Jesus, including his disciples. The Chosen, I think, is very well done. It has some powerful scenes which are taken directly from the gospel accounts, such such as Jesus turning the water into wine, healing the leper, Jesus' conversation at night with Nicodemus, and so on. And I want us to view on screen in just a moment this morning one of the very intriguing incidents in the gospels. But let me provide a little context for this scene before we actually watch it on the screen. Jesus met with the woman at the well in Samaria. Remember that in in John's gospel. He had a strategic conversation with her. She was profoundly moved by Jesus and came to believe that he was Messiah. And as you remember, she ran back to her village to tell everyone that she had met the Messiah. And in The Chosen, we see that Jesus stayed in this Samaritan village of Sychar for a few days, healing the sick and teaching about God's kingdom. So in this video, we see that Jesus was with his disciples, two of his disciples, James and John, just outside the Samaritan village of Sychar, just a few days after this encounter with the woman at the well. And remember, the Jews and Samaritans held a passionate hatred for one another. So let's watch this clip together for a minute. Rabbi, ah, you couldn't wait, could you? We're oh, sorry, we just uh, wanted to clear a few things up, if that's okay. By all means. You Jewish boys are far from home. Yes, as a matter of fact, we are. Shalom to you too. Here's our traditional Jewish greeting for you. Don't lift a finger. That was a warning. Try it again and see what happens. Quiet, Big James. Shalom to you too. You filthy dogs! I said quiet. Let us do something. And what would that achieve? Defending your honor. They reviled and humiliated you. They deserve to have bolts of lightning rain down and incinerate them. Yes, fire from the heavens. Fire? You said we could do things like that. Say the word and it will happen. Why not? We knew we couldn't trust these people. We shouldn't have come here in the first place. They don't deserve you. Why do you think I had you work, Melek's field? What was I trying to teach you? To help? You think it was just to be more helpful? Or to be better farmers? It was to show you that what we're doing here will last for generations. What I told Fotina at the well, and what she then told so many others, it's sowing seeds that will have a lasting impact for lifetimes. Can you not see what's happening here? These people that you hate so much are believing in me without even seeing miracles. It's the message, the truth that we're giving them. And you're going to get in the way of that because a few people from a region you don't like were mean to you. That they're not worthy? What, you're so much better? You're more worthy? Well, let me tell you something. You're not. That's the whole point. It's why I'm here. I'm sorry. 
Sorry, Rabbi. As we gather others, I need you to help show the way. To be humble. We will. You wanted to use the power of God to bring down fire, to burn these people up? Well, it sounds a lot worse when you say it that way. <laughs> you too. You're like a storm on the sea. Thunder exploding out of your chests at every turn. <laughs> In fact, that's what I'm going to call you from now on. James and John, the sons of thunder. That's a great illustration, I think, of one of the uh, dramatic scenes in the gospel accounts. Um, one of the main points of the, of the chosen, one of the main points of emphasis is the relationship of Jesus with his disciples. The disciples are called to follow Jesus and be with him each and every day. And they have an opportunity to see on a daily basis how Jesus lives out his faith, how he shares God's love with others, how he deals with the religious leaders, how he deals with those folks who hate him and how he teaches about the kingdom of God. The Chosen, I think, is very impactful. There are two seasons out, eight episodes in each season. Season three should be coming out sometime uh, this summer, maybe. Uh, but it conveys the message of the gospel in a very compelling way. Let's think about this topic for a few minutes this morning. Imitation Christianity. Imitation Christianity. Unfortunately, it's not too hard to find imitation Christianity in our world today. Imitation Christianity could be called fake Christianity. Christianity in name only. Christianity that has no connection with the message of the gospel or the teachings of Jesus. Christianity that is strictly an outward show with no real substance. It is not too difficult today to find false teachers who are proclaiming a message that has no foundation in the gospel, no foundation at all in the teachings of Jesus. However, this meaning of imitation Christianity is not what we want to focus on this morning. Let's think about imitation Christianity in a completely different way. The Apostle Paul writes to the Christians in Corinth and says to them in chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, he says, I am not writing these things to shame you, but to warn you as my beloved children. For even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father. For I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you. So I urge you to imitate me. I urge you to imitate me. Remember, Jesus called his disciples to follow him and to imitate his life, his attitudes, his, his grace, his love. And the Apostle Paul tells the Christians at Corinth that he is their spiritual father, so they need to imitate his life and attitudes and grace and love. Of course, Paul would go on to say in 1 Corinthians 10, 33, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Imitation Christianity is the key 
to the Christian life. It is the key to following Jesus. It is the key to sharing the good news. It is the key to discipleship. It is definitely true that imitate other, imitating others is a key component in our lives on a normal basis. Children imitate their parents, at least until they become teenagers. And then teenagers might begin imitating their favorite rock star or movie star or older teen who is popular at school. We all know people who have had a huge influence on our lives. You can probably think about, back about some folks in your life, maybe way back in your childhood, who were greatly influential in your life. Maybe your parents, maybe teachers, maybe coaches, maybe friends. However, the truth of the matter is that there is a wide variety of people who are imitating your life. Whether you realize it or not, most of the time we don't really realize it. That's certainly true about children imitating their parents. That's so important. But it's also true about close friends imitating your life, co-workers imitating your life, and neighbors imitating your life. There are people who are watching your life, and they are imitating your lifestyle to a certain degree. So let's think about imitation Christianity. And the first thing we want to notice is that imitation is the key to discipleship. It is the key to discipleship. This is a theme that we find throughout the Bible. Joshua learned from Moses and imitated his life. Elisha imitated the life of Elijah, the prophet. And the disciples learned from Jesus. In Matthew 16, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way and take up your cross and follow me. Jesus says very clearly that those who want to be his disciple must give up their own way of doing life. They must die to their own way of life and they must follow Jesus, imitate him. They must imitate the life of Jesus, imitate his actions and attitudes, his grace and his love and the way he dealt with other people. Ray Vanderlaan has taken many, many groups of Christians on a tour of the Holy Land. I know that y'all, some of y'all went on a tour of the Holy Land about a year or so ago, and that's a, that's a great opportunity to do that. But Ray Vanderlaan has produced a series of books and videos which are based upon these tours of Israel, and that series is called That the World May Know. Great series. One of the key places that he always takes his group is a triangle of three small towns on the northwest, northwest coast of the Sea of Galilee, those three small towns. And those of you that went to Israel with the group from the church probably went there also. The three small towns are Capernaum, Bethsaida, and Chorazin. They're doing a lot of archaeological work in those towns today. Vanderlaan says that this region was the focal point of discipleship during the first century A.D., that's astounding. These three towns are all very small, about 2,000 people in each town back in those days. And the culture of the towns was firmly rooted in family and community. And these, uh, the people in these towns were strongly rooted in the, their Jewish faith and traditions. And they were focused like a laser on the coming of the Messiah. They were yearning for the Messiah to arrive and set them free from Rome. The Jewish boys and girls in this part of Galilee would begin their education called Beth Sefer at the age of four or five years old. The boys and girls both were in Beth Sefer. A teacher would teach these young children to read and to memorize the Torah. 
The first five books of the Old Testament, they would memorize those first five books. And this training continued until about the age of 13. And at this age, that was the end of the formal education for most of the children. The boys would begin their uh, family trade and the girls would learn the skills of a homemaker and prepare to be married. However, the very best male students, only a few, would continue their education in what is called Beth Midrash. Here they would continue to memorize most of the rest of the Old Testament. And then the very best Beth Midrash students would proceed to become a disciple or a Talmud, as the word is in Hebrew, a, a disciple of a rabbi. The student would find a rabbi that they highly respected, and then they would go and ask that rabbi if he could be his disciple. If the rabbi said yes, then the student would leave his home and spend his whole life with that rabbi. He would learn to live like the rabbi lived and be like the rabbi in almost every way. This process would go on for years until the student finally decided to become a rabbi himself. So this view of discipleship in the Galilee area uh, during the times of Jesus was very much in place. This is what discipleship was all about in Jesus' day, back in the Galilee area. A common phrase in those days is that a disciple should be covered in the dust of the rabbi. In other words, he should follow the rabbi so closely that the dust kicked up by the sandals of the rabbi's uh, shoes would cover the disciple. That's how closely they should follow their rabbi. Uh, and this triangle of small towns had the reputation in the Jewish world for discipleship. Jews from all over the world would come here to find a rabbi to follow. Ray Vanderlaan says in his book, and I quote from his book, discipleship was at the heart of Jesus' ministry. So it's not surprising that the word disciple is used more than 250 times in the New Testament. In fact, the New Testament is the story of disciples written by disciples who wanted to make disciples. And those disciples dramatically changed their world. So it's no coincidence that probably five of Jesus' 12 disciples were from the small town of Capernaum, right there on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Those five were Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and Matthew. That small fishing village helped to change the world because of five disciples that came from their town. And they were called to follow Jesus. Who would have ever guessed that that small village of Capernaum would have such a powerful impact on the world? Discipleship was a core value in the village of Capernaum. But the men who were called by Jesus obviously didn't have what it takes to be a Talmud back in those days. They, they finished uh, Beth Sefer at the age of 13. And then they went into the family business, four of them becoming fishermen, one of them a tax collector. However, Jesus was different from the normal rabbis in those days because he did not wait for people to come to him to seek to be his disciple. You, you did not have to be highly educated or highly trained in the law to be a disciple of Jesus. You did not have to attend Beth Midrash. Instead, the Bible tells us that Jesus took the initiative and went after these fishermen and a tax collector and he told them, come, follow me. Come, learn to imitate my life. And that is a crucial difference. And that difference means that Jesus also takes the initiative with you 
and with me. And he calls us to be his disciple. He wants us to follow him and to learn from him. We don't have to be Bible scholars. We don't have to attend the best seminaries. We don't have to attend the best uh, universities. Uh, We don't have to be highly talented in order to follow Jesus. That is the pattern of discipleship that we see in the New Testament. The disciple of Jesus called called their own disciples, the disciples called their own disciples to follow them, and those disciples called their disciples to follow them, and that process continued on and on until the message of Christ was shared around that first century world. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3.17. He says, Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. And then Paul says in Philippians 4, 9, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. You see, that is imitation Christianity. That is the methodology and style that Jesus intended for us to have. And the truth is, that is still the pattern of discipleship that works today, even though we don't really institute that pattern as a program in our churches today. So imitation is the key to discipleship even today. First of all, we need to find healthy Christian role models and imitate their lifestyle and habit patterns in faith. That's what all of us need to do is find Christian role models so that we can imitate them and learn from them and put their lifestyle patterns, their Christian lifestyle patterns into practice. And then we also need to know that there are other people who are modeling their life after us for good or for not so good. So it's crucial for us to be a great model of the Christian faith in our own lifestyle because people are watching us and following us and imitating our life. So imitation is so important to our faith, but also imitation involves prayer. You see, Saul of Tarsus was a Pharisee and a noted rabbi in the first century. You remember he was on his way to Damascus in order to arrest the Christians there. And suddenly Saul had a dramatic encounter with Jesus. And Jesus called Saul to be a follower, to be a Talmud, if you will. He called Saul to be one of his disciples. Saul had already served as a Talmud to the noted rabbi Gamaliel. Now he was being called to serve as a disciple of Jesus. Saul spent seven years in Tarsus, his hometown, learning about Jesus and the good news of salvation. Then the apostle Paul was ready to serve as a model for others to follow. And uh, he went to the church at Antioch and began his ministry there. But during his ministry, Paul had a variety of disciples, Silas and Luke and Timothy and Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos, and the list goes on. At the end of his life, Paul writes to one of his key disciples, Timothy, and has these words to say in, in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, the passage we heard earlier. Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. There is no doubt that prayer should be a key area of focus in training a disciple. 
Paul set a wonderful example for his followers. He tells Timothy that night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. And Timothy believes Paul when he said this because I'm sure that there were many occasions when Timothy was with Paul and actually experienced Paul putting into practice that prayer life. Remember, Jesus' disciples asked Jesus how to teach them how to pray. The disciples also saw the many times that Jesus went off by himself on a mountaintop to pray. One of the best ways that you can impact the lives of those who are imitating you is by demonstrating a life of prayer. Those people who are carefully observing your life, imitating your life, if you will, need to see your dedication to prayer. They need to see your commitment to prayer, your passion for prayer. They need to experience your confidence in the power of prayer. How well are you demonstrating prayer to those who are imitating you? How well are you demonstrating prayer to your children, to your friends, to your fellow Christians, to those who are imitating your life? It is so important to get serious about your prayer life because there are probably a whole variety of people that are observing you closely in this regard. They, not, they may not come up to you and say, hey, please, please teach me how to pray, but make no doubt about it. They are observing your prayer life, imitating your prayer life. You can have a huge investment in the lives of others by strengthening your prayer lives, by having boldness in your prayer life. I can think back at the churches I've served as pastor of during my ministry through the years, and I can think of the Christians there who had a huge impact on my life through the prayers that they prayed because of the prayer life that they had, because they were spiritual giants in prayer in, in their own lives, and that had a huge impact on me as their pastor. So make sure you're demonstrating a life of prayer to those that are following after your, who are watching the example of your life. But also imitation involves not just prayer, but faithfulness. Uh, Paul goes on to say in 2 Timothy 1 verse 5, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. This is a wonderful passage of Scripture in which the Apostle Paul emphasizes the power of imitation. Paul claims that Timothy's grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice, had a profound impact upon young Timothy's life. Their faith in Jesus had a huge impact on their son and grandson, Timothy. Of course, Paul realized how much Timothy had been imitating Paul's life. Paul had even, he said, fanned into flames the spiritual gifts that God had given to Timothy. In other words, Paul had provided a powerful blessing to Timothy, and that blessing involved spiritual power and love and self-discipline. For most Christians, the most critical role-making, role-modeling takes place with their own children. That just makes sense. Do not underestimate the power of imitation that you have with your children and with your grandchildren. There's no doubt that they are imitating you for good again or maybe not for not so good. So take that responsibility very, very seriously. A parent's faith can literally steer the course of a child's life throughout their lifetime. The power of imitation is so strong. 
Your children and grandchildren need to see your faith in action. They need to see the fruit of the Spirit in your life. They need to see the grace of Jesus pour through you. They need to see your trust in God and your personal and positive attention to them. And the list goes on and on. Imitation involves prayer and faithfulness. You know, this is also true for not just parents, but for teachers, coaches, children's ministers, youth pastors, uh, just for everyday people out in the world. Don't underestimate the impact that you have on others because of the power of imitation. There are people who are imitating your faithfulness to Jesus Christ. So imitation involves prayer and faithfulness, but finally imitation involves the good news. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul said this to Timothy. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Those two verses in 2 Timothy chapter 2 are the key to the spread of the gospel. Those two verses, the key to the spread of the gospel. Paul reminds young Timothy that the gospel is the grace that God gives us through Christ Jesus. And Timothy has heard Paul teach this good news on many, many occasions. Now Timothy needs to imitate Paul and teach this gospel to many others so that they can imitate Timothy and pass along the same gospel to many more people. It's all about imitation, you see. Paul says, imitate me and others will imitate you. That's how we reach the world for Jesus Christ. Charles Allen was a powerful preacher in the past century, and uh, he figured out that if you start with one Christian, and if uh, that one Christian goes out and reaches one person for Christ during the course of the year and disciples that person, and that person imitates his life, if that happens Uh, then the end of the year, you have two Christians in. And if both of those Christians and each one of them do the same thing, they go reach one person for Christ apiece and they disciple that person throughout the year. At the end of that year, you have how many Christians in? Four, right? All right, and the same thing happens with those four. They each one reach one person for Christ and they disciple that person through the year. Then the next year, at the beginning of next year, you have eight, right? And at the end of the following year, you have 16, and then 32. And, uh, you know, there's power in imitation. If that process continues for just 32 years, the entire world could be one to Jesus Christ. So you can reach all of Northern Virginia, over 1 million people in just 21 years, if you begin that process in your church or in your own personal life with just each Christian reaching one person for Christ every year and discipling that person. That is the power of imitation Christianity, using your influence as a Christian to reach people for Jesus Christ and then discipling that person through your role modeling of that person. Just imagine what type of impact South Run Baptist Church could have on your surrounding community if you recognize and utilize the power of imitation. Throughout his life in the world, Jesus had a powerful impact upon the lives of his disciples. He told his disciples to follow me, imitate my life, 
Imitate my attitudes, imitate my values, my love, imitate my care for others. Imitation Christianity is imitating the life of Jesus. And when we imitate the life of Jesus, we will have a profound impact on the world. And others will imitate Jesus through our life. By imitating our life, they'll see Jesus in us and through us. And that will dramatically impact and change the world for Jesus Christ. It's a very simple process. Very simple process. Just reaching one person for Christ at a time. And living your life in such a way that, that you convey the love and grace of Jesus through your life and through your message. How about it? Let's change Northern Virginia for Jesus Christ. Let's change this community for Jesus Christ. Let's change your own neighborhood for Jesus Christ. It all gets down to just us living, imitating Jesus Christ and allowing his love and grace to flow through us. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for the gospel, for his death on a cross and you raising him from the dead and, he, and knowing that he's alive even today. Lord, the gospel is the fact that we can just put our faith and trust in Jesus and know that he'll come in and save us and give us eternal life. But Lord, we also know that you want us to reach out to others with this same message of the gospel with the same saving grace. So help us, Lord, to be active in sharing the message of the gospel to those around us, but also living our life in order to demonstrate the love of Jesus in and through our lifestyle. Lord, help us to have a huge impact on those around us because of your love within us. And Lord, we just uh, want to dedicate our life to you. And we just pray that we will Keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ and imitate him each and every day of our life. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.